0: On May 14th, I'll be hosting a free support event in honor of Mother's Day. In partnership with Prove and with doulas on my team, we are hosting this space and it's going to be similar to the spaces that we hold for our support groups, but most importantly, it's a safe space for bereaved mothers to come and seek support, validation, and community. You can register and learn more about this event. Again, it's free by clicking the link in today's episode notes. We also have new support groups starting in May from first time loss, recurrent loss, secondary loss, infant loss, and more. View these groups by visiting themiscaragedoula.co or by clicking the link in the show description. Some of our groups are available to register for while others have wait lists. You can check out all of the information for these groups and our free event at themiscaragedoula.co. Now let's get into this episode. You're listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Caroline, welcome to Miscarriage Stories. Uh, we were talking before the recording, and I've already thanked you for sharing your story. But um, I, I really appreciate that you reached out and you shared in the intake form that you're not at your happy ending yet. And I think that that's something that people seem to think is that they can't tell their story until they're at the- a happy ending, but it's stories like yours as sad and heartbreaking as they are that show other people that they're not alone. I, you said it perfectly before we started that. I, I kind of wish I would have started recording sooner, but um, I'm just so glad that you're here. I'm not happy for the reason you're here, but I'm glad that you're deciding to share.
1: Yeah. And I can say it again. <laughs> I know <laughs> um, when I had originally reached out, I had specifically picked a date that was our first Babies, it would have been our first baby's uh, one-year due date, so like I wish it would have been one year old, and um, I chose that because, again, I I'm not through this journey yet. Uh, I believe that it has made me such a stronger person, and one of the things that has really helped me through some of the darkest seasons is just listening to others who are walking through this with me, or, or have walked it through through it with me. Um, so I, I know I mentioned it before we started the call, but really just not feeling alone and hearing even just little tidbits of people's stories that I'm like, oh, I felt that, or oh, I had that question. Um, it, it's so reassuring and has helped carry me through to where I am now. And I know I'm not through it all yet. I, I did put that on in my intake form. I'm not a success story at this at this point. But I do feel like I'm a stronger person through what I've been through, and I'm happy to Share it. It's it's become a much greater comfort to me to be able to share the story where I mean two or three years ago I was not in that place. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's let's jump in. I would love for you to start your story. A lot of people will start like whenever they you know first started trying to conceive and what that was like. um, Wherever you feel like your story begins, I'd love for you to start there.
1: Yeah. Um. So I. I've always wanted to be a mom, um, but I, I'm a type A person. I thought I would be able to manage having children the same way that I try and manage every other part of life. <laughs> um, so I think while I always wanted to be a mom, I did have it on a timeline. So I wanted to uh, be able to be married for a couple of years, spend that time, you know, just me and my husband, we agreed on that. Um, we got married about five years ago. And even when we got engaged, talked about it and said, let's start to try to have children in a few years. And we both wanted three or four children came from larger families, um, but just didn't really have any idea that we would be struggling to conceive. Um, and so just kind of outlined it that we would have children when we wanted to, Um, and after a couple years of just being able to spend time, the two of us. So I also, it was important to me that I wanted to be a working mom. Um, That's not actually how I was raised. My mom was a stay-at-home mom with myself and my siblings, but it was, uh, I actually really enjoy what I do. I enjoy my work. I love working, and so that was another thing that my husband and I just talked through is that It was important for me to establish my career and ultimately when we do have children like one of the conversations we had around potentially him being a stay-at-home dad or managing more of the family while i um, manage more of of the work Um, so we'll see what that ends up turning out to be (laughs) Um, i know this process is definitely one of these or made me want to cherish more and more time with children but uh, it's always been something that's in my mind is we were planning to have children, just that I wanted to establish my career even before we started. So we did start to try about three years ago. Um, it was during like the beginning of COVID, probably when the rest of the United States was also like, maybe we should hunger down and have children. Um. And I, like, up until that point, I mean, I'd been very diligent every year going to see my OB. There had never been any red flags. Um, I had been on birth control more or less for, you know, 13 years or so. Um, I started out pretty early, except I I had acne. Uh, But I stayed on it until 29 years old when we were ready to start trying. Um, It took me about four or five months to even get my first period and there's some things on the internet of course I started researching that I also took a few pregnancy tests like oh my gosh I'm pregnant like that happened really fast <laughs> and found out about um the fact that you probably won't get your period for a couple of months after stopping birth control especially after that long um but after four or five months finally did get my period and then we um <laughs> I waited. I'll say I waited. My husband was probably like, oh, this is going to work and really positive. But after about six months of trying, I was like ready to go see a doctor. I wanted to take control of the situation. Um, I wasn't having very regular periods. They were like sometimes, you know, 25 days, sometimes 40 days. So it just was hard to predict. And then it was pretty hard to catch. I was using the little ovulation strips. So pretty hard to catch my surge. Um, So I just really wanted to go get answers. And I was like, well, let's, let's just go see what the doctor says and get some tests done. So in April of 2021, um, so maybe a a year after we, like I got off birth control originally, um, went to go see a, an RE. And it was somebody that had been recommended to me by a couple of friends. And we did all the testing, just ran through the labs. I did an HSG, um, and my husband did some testing, and everything came back good. So, in a in a way that's like, okay, well, you know, we're we're obviously doing things right. <laughs> um, we didn't need any treatment. Um, but I ended up getting pregnant that cycle that I was going to do all the testing, so that I like first started seeing the RE. So. Um, I still remember really vividly just, I took a pregnancy test. It was maybe 40 days of my cycle at that point. So I didn't have a ton of hope because it had been that long before. But at the same time, I was like, okay, I'll just take the test. And um, it was positive. And I looked at myself in the mirror. It was just me in the morning. Like, oh my gosh, it's happening. So I waited I can't believe I did this but I waited a couple of days before telling my husband it it happened on like a Thursday and I waited until Saturday to tell him went to the grocery store and got like some champagne for him and then some non-alcoholic for me and made little mimosas and came back to the house on Saturday morning and showed him the pregnancy test and he was shocked (laughs) he was like he he was fully in the, the stage where he was going to have to like go through fertility treatments. Like that was our next plan. Um, so I think we were both really surprised, but yeah, that was my, um, my, my first pregnancy kind of first surprise. Um, I think that that was probably my most traumatic miscarriage as well. Um, I, we ended up waiting until around um, seven weeks to tell anyone. And the first people we told were our parents. Um, my, I'm the oldest in my family. And so um, I'm the only one that's married right now. My My brother is engaged, but I'm the only one actually of like all the cousins and stuff too, that's the oldest. And so it's a big deal for my parents and for my grandparents to have a baby. I think that's probably created some pressure that I take on um, throughout the years of trying to conceive as well. But um, my husband is the youngest of four and his family, we we already have five nieces and nephews on that side. Um, And so we ended up telling both of our parents on Father's Day that year, um, thought it was kind of symbolic. And at seven weeks, I was like, well, you know, things are working out so far. So it's (laughs) it's time to tell people um, I knew there was a chance of miscarriage, but I also just wanted to celebrate, and it was kind of nice to be able to give um, our fathers a little card that surprised them. So that later that week, I ended up starting to spot. Um, it wasn't very much at all, and um, I was worried, but I emailed my OB. I, at this point, had already emailed the reproductive endocrinologist and said, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> we're, we're pregnant. Um, and so we, I, I was seeing my OB, my normal OB and, uh, went in, I I had already scheduled an eight week ultrasound. So my spotting started at like toward close to eight weeks. And, um, she was like, we'll just come in in a couple of days for your, your scheduled ultrasound. So I went in for the ultrasound. Um, I just went alone. This was during COVID and, this was my first pregnancy. And I didn't even really know at that point that, oh, at eight weeks, you should be able to see a heartbeat and, or hear a heartbeat. I didn't know to have my husband go with me, um, which I think in hindsight, I don't know that it really made a a difference, but it is sad. Like I did have an opportunity at that moment to be able to see our first baby and, and he didn't. Um, but I went into my old eight week ultrasound and, got to see, um, we named our our first baby Grace, um, but I got to see our baby, and uh, there was a little flickering heartbeat, uh, but the baby was measuring at about six and a half weeks, and um, given my irregular periods, you know, wasn't positive that it was eight weeks, but six and a half weeks sounded a lot further off than I would have thought. Um, I ended up Leaving that day, my doctor was like, "I'm I'm cautiously optimistic." I think that's a phrase that I've heard (laughs) over and over again at this point in the journey. But cautiously optimistic, and then um, it was actually later that evening that I really started to have some bad cramping. And um, the craziest part, I look back on this first miscarriage now. I continued to work that day. It was maybe like 4 p.m. and I was having some really bad cramping and bleeding and didn't know what to do I don't know if I was in denial but just like stayed on my work calls and continue to work through it um until I <laughs> I'm thinking back I took notes before I started the story and I'm like thinking back more of the memories but I ended up not I was back and forth with my husband like you know is this normal this seems like it's not normal should I like go into the ER. Is that necessary? I had never been to the ER before. So I didn't know like what constitutes going into the ER. Um, I didn't know if there was anything that could be done at that point to save the baby, but I had just seen the baby alive, like, you know, six hours prior. Um, so I ended up calling into like one of the virtual doctors, but you can have through your insurance. And he was like, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> and I was like, I'm bleeding, but I don't know. And so he recommended we go into the ER and I went in um, shortly after. I remember waiting in the ER and just that was probably when I had the most severe cramping. I mean, later I've learned that that's just contractions. Some of them can be contractions. And just remember kind of leaning over and just feeling such immense pain. I went back, they took my blood levels and, um, I was scared to do a vaginal ultrasound. I had had the vaginal ultrasound earlier that day. And I don't know, in my head, it was going to be something that was going to hurt the baby in some way. So I just had them do an ultrasound on my stomach or on my abdomen and they couldn't find anything. Um, I think now looking back on it, it was probably around that time that I lost the sack. Um, I went home and had just the blood had soaked through the pad that I was wearing, my underwear, my shorts, everything. Um, and I think the most pain though, is while I was sitting there in the hospital, um, there was a lot of just I I passed a lot of tissue, but it was, sorry, I don't know if this is too much, but I've heard your podcast, so I know it's not. (laughs) Here I am, here I am exposing it all. Um, I just didn't know. Um, I didn't know, like, even though I passed something that looked like a little sack, um, I didn't know if that was it. And um, it was hard to just like there's no definition of it out there of like, this is how much blood you'll, you'll pass or how much clotting or how large the clotting will be or what the baby will look like. And I've since figured out how to search better for it. But, um, at the time it was just, I think partially the stage of grief where I was in denial of just, maybe the baby is still there. Um, and maybe this is not a miscarriage. Maybe it's just blood clotting and, uh, something else. So much so in denial that even though I was somewhat grieving, um, I later that weekend went swimming in the lake for a friend's birthday, and now it's like I know the terrible infections that can cause and what a terrible idea it is to go into um, any body of water after a miscarriage. Um, But I think I feel like in your defense, though, there is so.
0: Little information out there to where I feel like the way that doctors sometimes will talk about early losses as if it was like a heavy period. It was not a big deal, so sure, go on with your everyday life. Like it's carried on like a, a, like a I don't know, like a not not a big deal to other people. So sometimes we kind of adapt to that as we're grieving of like why are we so sad? You know, this was Mm -hmm. you know I was eight weeks pregnant, even though it's such a big deal. So sometimes it's like our brain doesn't let us be like, yeah, don't go into a body of water. Your cervix is still dilated. You know, it's, we just don't have those thoughts because that information's never given to us.
1: Right, right. And it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't after that first miscarriage. um, So I didn't know. All I knew and what was communicated was go in, test your HCG back down. So that's what we knew after. I think I kind of came to terms with the loss after that weekend. I didn't take any time off work. I went right back into work. Um, I don't think I really knew how to grieve properly after that first loss. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I didn't really talk to anybody outside of my husband. Of course, we had to let our parents know. Um, I think we took time with that to let our family know. We hadn't let that many others know at that point um but I remember it's just that was one of the darkest times of just being alone in it and uh, I remember going to we miscarried at the end of June and had a wedding to go to in July um but I remember just being with family and one of the bridesmaids was pregnant and just crying and not really being able to explain it to all the family because then you're unloading this Oh well, I was pregnant, and now I've miscarried, and it's a lot of a lot of story to just try and catch people up on. So that was um, that was our first loss. That was Grace. Um, we ended up deciding to try naturally for a little while after that loss, and uh, that was again we hadn't found anything wrong with the RE, and of course the story out there is you know one in four will. Uh, pregnancies will end in a miscarriage, so we knew that that was a chance, and we'd gotten pregnant naturally, so we tried naturally for a little while longer. Um, then we went back to the RE and did a couple of timed intercourse cycles. Um, she gave me letrozole and just monitored things, um, but those were unsuccessful as well. Um, I'll go back to being the type A person that I was like, I'm getting control of the situation. My insurance pays for it. We're going to do IVF next. <laughs> I didn't really have even that much heartache about giving up, trying to try naturally. I think I wanted, um, I, I, at this point, I just really wanted to be pregnant again. I really wanted to have a baby. And so IVF seemed like the smartest option. Um, I was aware of my age. And of course, the I think the endocrinologist will also always advise like that's probably the the best chance you have. So, I started IVF in October of 2021, and um, we were able to get through the retrieval pretty easily. And I ended up having three. We did testing on our first round of embryos and ended up having three normal ones. So they were like, let's go into another retrieval. And I was like, no, no, I wanna I want transfer. I'm ready to be pregnant again. So we um, started trying to do a transfer. Um, this is when I learned a lot about my body. Um, I was not very responsive to estrogen during the transfer protocol. And um, I had cycle after cycle canceled for thin lining. Um, so if anybody listening to the podcast, struggles with that. I'm more than happy to talk with you about it. Uh, it's still something I struggle with. And uh, it was a big surprise. just I again, was not the normal case and had to go through um, my doctor didn't didn't really do a great job of listening to what I wanted to try. I remember asking, like, oh, should we do that vaginal estrogen? And she's like, no, normally, you don't have to do that. You can do, just The oral estrogen and that will work, and so we started with that and it didn't work. And then um, they tried adding the vaginal and it didn't work, and then tried having the patches and the patches didn't work. And just this whole process of going into the ultrasounds and getting that oh, well, your lining's at a, a three or at a four, um, that's not good enough for transfer and getting a canceled cycle again. So there's definitely some heartache, it's not the same as a loss in any way. Um, But having your hopes up and thinking of a due date for that cycle and then having it canceled again was always really hard. Um, We ended up after a few canceled cycles to try and transfer, we ended up switching doctors. And um, I will say this for everyone on the podcast, it has been such a blessing. Um, I have really really loved my my new doctor he's not even new anymore but finding somebody who can be an advocate for you who listens to you who will try new treatments if you have an idea about it I mean at this point I'm on the internet all the time so I've got a lot of ideas but it's so important Um, if you ever feel like you are or if your doctor is just kind of going through the motions and you're a number, it doesn't have to be that way. There are doctors out there who will really care for you. will know your name, will fight for you. And um, that's definitely somebody that we're, we were fortunate enough to find. Um, so I can't just reiterate it enough how important it is that there is somebody who will really treat you like the human that you are. Um, not to say my other doctor was bad. I think she was just more, uh, Maybe more focused and not as empathetic. And at this point in our journey, we were—I was meeting somebody who was very empathetic. Um, so yeah, we transferred. Um, actually, with our very first cycle with that doctor, um, tried out a different protocol. This one was um, of like a modified natural one. So I ended up taking um, stems kind of like I would for an IVF cycle, but then on, on a lower dose, and then transferred. And, um, that's when I was very excited about <laughs> it had been, I think, almost six months at that point since our retrieval. So finally getting to the transfer, I was so excited. Um, so excited that I remember, uh, I think I was like four days after transfer and I opened up to a friend of mine who had done IVF and she was like, oh, I, I tested on four days post-transfer. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know I could test that early. <laughs> um, so five days post-transfer, I tested and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. It's a positive line and told my husband immediately or done with the surprises like I did earlier. No more mimosas. This was, this was strictly business. And um, I remember like we had dinner plans that week. And so I let the, the restaurant know I was pregnant. I needed considerations for my pregnancy. <laughs> Couldn't have any you know, raw eggs or anything. Um, And that one ended up ending fairly quickly. Um, I think I lost that one at about four and a half, five by weeks. Um just had positive tests for a few days. They got a little bit stronger, had the pregnant digital test, and then they started getting lighter and lighter. So um that one was different than I think my other miscarriages in that it wasn't as traumatic. That one definitely was just a, a heavy period. Um, But I had had a lot of hope, kind of coming up to that point, and uh, not knowing really what was wrong was frustrating too. Of just we'd done everything right, and this one was a tested embryo, and I did get pregnant for a little while, and you know why did it go wrong? So uh, we named that baby Selah, and. I do consider her a baby the same way I consider the other one, even though it was such an early loss. And then, my doctor recommended just given my response and um, that it was, you know, I I was able to have the embryo implant. Um, He recommended just going straight into another cycle. And at this point, I was on board with that for sure. (laughs) Um, You know, you start to feel the rush of Everyone else is on to their second or third child, and I'm still struggling. So we went right into another transfer. We didn't really change much at all. Um, maybe tweaked a few things here or there with the transfer protocol, but for the most part, it's the same. And I, uh, this time, decided to do a little different. I was like, okay, I'm not testing early. I'm going to wait until my beta. <laughs> and waited up until my beta, didn't test. Um, I actually took a test the morning of my beta but didn't look at it and just like put it away <laughs> um, I don't know why I did that I don't know if I like wanted to have it as a backup but <laughs> I, like put it away in my closet um, and we got the call actually from my doctor instead of the nurse that day and he said your beta is it was 37 which is lower than they want to see um, the craziest part is the beta for my first transfer was also 37 um so if I had started testing earlier I would have immediately gone crazy about how the line wasn't dark enough and it was such a blessing that I decided to wait um so of course I worried all weekend um this was I was on a Friday that I got the news about the low beta and uh my beta kept rising. They were really kind to continue to test. Um, I tested probably three or four more times uh, every couple of days and it kept doubling like it should, um, kept growing. So around six and a half weeks, I went in that time for the heartbeat and um, there was our baby measuring on time, heartbeat, everything looks good. Uh, yeah, we were um, just... I guess kind of in shock throughout all of that, that it continued to work, but also excited. Um, I I would say it was probably around seven and a half weeks. uh, We were in Galveston. I'm actually from Austin, Texas. So it's about four hours South. And we were there for my husband's parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Um, So we were with the whole family, big group together. And I had told my husband, I was like, I, I want to tell them um, I was not drinking, which is not normal for me. Not that I'm drinking like crazy all the time, but I'm definitely having wine with our family. Uh, and so I'd kind of been covering that up and not really mentioning any, anything about it. Um, they obviously knew we had been trying for a long time because we had shared about our pregnancy the year prior. Um, and anyway, we were doing a photo shoot that was our gift to his parents um, out on the beach and I thought it would be really fun if we announced it at the end of the photo shoot and just got a couple of pictures of us telling them we were pregnant so we waited till the end we were doing we were like let's do one more group photo like with this angle and then um, told them we were like on the count of three Um, so we we told them we were like, on the count of three, everyone yelled, baby Clinton. And so (laughs) we had them all yell it out. And it's, I think it's sweet now to have those memories. And even though that's not the baby that we're holding today, um, it's still a sweet memory of of that excitement that I think slowly gets stolen from you, the more, um, the more you go through loss. So we have that memory and we had that picture to memorialize it. Um, we also uh, went through our anniversary while I was pregnant and uh, <laughs> we had COVID while we were pregnant uh, or while I was pregnant and while we were going through our anniversary. to so, so to make that a little bit sweeter, um, we had had the testing from our uh, IVF round. So we knew what the genders were. I had never looked at it. My husband and I had not looked at the, the genders. We kind of had that hidden and um, I asked my sister to go get a little gender reveal cake um, just to try and make our anniversary a little sweeter while we were uh, quarantined at our house. <laughs> and so she got a little a little cake um, and we found out that we were having a girl um, and we're really excited about that. Um, again, there's some little videos and pictures that I think are really sweet to have that memory. Uh, we have a sweet golden retriever, great Pyrenees mix and gave her a little pink bandana for the girl. <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, that was, again, it was around seven and a half weeks. And at that point I'd had um, a couple of ultrasounds with everything looking good. And I did start to bleed a little bit. Um, I even think I started to bleed before we had little gender reveal it might have been a way of me trying to remain confident despite the bleeding Um, we went into the doctor at eight weeks again for another scan and my doctor was actually out on paternity leave so we met with one of the other doctors in the clinic and found that there was no heartbeat so that was um, our third loss and It's so hard to sit. The clinic actually has like a a camera or a screen above the bed, which when you're going through IVF, it's like, great. Let me look at all these little follicles growing. And when you're pregnant and you see the heartbeat, it's so sweet. And when you're pregnant and you don't see the heartbeat anymore, it's one of the hardest moments. Cause you know, You've seen the baby moving and wiggling around it and then you don't and you just know. Um, she, the doctor kind of gave us a few moments and um, then came in and, and walked us through our options and I love how they present that. It's like, here are your options. You've got three different choices. You can choose your favorite. Um, we we knew, uh, I knew that I did not want to go through um, what I did with my first loss again. I also knew that uh, DNC is not a great option for thin lining. Um, it can have effects on your lining, um, even if you don't have thin lining like I do. But I just knew emotionally I couldn't go through a loss at home again. So. We ended up deciding to do the DNC, um, and I don't regret it. And it's um, it was so much easier emotionally, I think, than losing a baby at home for me. So uh, we did the DNC, and again, there's this whole common thread of like trying to figure out how to communicate things at work when you're when you do a DNC. You're going under anesthesia. So emotional aside, (laughs) uh, you are going through a surgery and and can't work that day. And then there's so many emotions. Um, I don't think I really took a lot of time. I just kind of powered through, but I had had PTO planned for a couple of weeks later, um, a family vacation. And so I just kind of worked through the week after the miscarriage and then made my way to the Couple of weeks off that I had with family vacation. Um, at that point, after a couple, a few losses, I did find a therapist, and that has been so, so helpful. Uh, just having, uh, I actually sought out somebody who is experienced with miscarriages and um, really all female hormones the whole cycle. Um, And that's been extremely helpful just to be able to talk to somebody um, and help prepare me for uh, my third transfer. We ended up deciding to, at this point, we had one embryo left. And so we decided to do another round of IVF. And um, that one went really well. we had decided that we wanted to do a fresh transfer because my embryos had come back uh, well from the first round. Um, They were euploid. So we decided to do another round and go through a fresh transfer. My lining was kind of the best it had ever been during the IVF cycle. So it made sense. And uh, that one was really just sweet the whole time through. I remember going in for the day of the transfer and the doctor and the embryologist came in together and they said, well, we have two that look great. And I was like, I was really worried. I was like, I don't know if they're going to be any, you know, how the, the process goes with IVF every day. It's like, are there going to be any left? I don't know. And our first round, we hadn't had any ready on day five. They were all ready on day six, but for a fresh round, you have to transfer on day five. Um, And we had two. And so they came in and they were like, do you want to transfer two? And part of me is like, absolutely. I want twins. <laughs> Um, and the other part of me was like, I cannot lose two embryos that will make me devastated. Um, my lining was probably at like a 5.5 5 or six. It was relatively low for what the doctors are looking for. So I didn't want to risk it on two. We ended up just transferring one, um, but it came back. I did do my testing again early this time, really strong line. And then my number was like 300 something, like 10 times what it had been with my Past two numbers um, for beta. So really good numbers, but I actually started to bleed really from the very beginning of that pregnancy. Um, even before I went in for my very first beta, I started to have some bleeding on and off. Um, I continued to bleed that entire pregnancy. They did find a couple of subchorionic um, hematomas or the SCH when I was going through that pregnancy, but Uh, The baby was healthy. The baby had a heartbeat um, multiple times we went in. My doctor was amazing about, he brought me in as many times as I wanted to, especially because of the bleeding. So I probably had five different ultrasound pictures and and checks um, during even just my lead up to around eight weeks. Um, I remember vividly uh, going in for work, I'd been invited to this conference in Austin and Brené Brown was speaking and I was so excited to see Brené Brown. And I went in, uh, it was just an all day event and, I was talking with some of my coworkers and mentioned how I was pregnant at this one. I was much, much more open with a lot of people. I was bringing in prayer partners, people praying over us, people from church. I I've done every pregnancy differently, but this one was one where I was like, we're pregnant and everybody's going to know about it. (laughs) Um, And I was listening to Brene Brown and just felt a like whoosh of blood, just a ton of blood. And thankfully I was wearing a black dress. In that moment, it just like bled through everything I was wearing and I rushed out, I took an Uber home. Um, Two days later, I went in for my ultrasound. I don't think the doctor like would have waited that long except that I had just had bleeding on and off for the entire time. And so it was just hard to know whether or not it was affecting anything. But I went in, um, the baby was measuring right on time but there was no heartbeat. So that one was a little over eight weeks. That one was probably the furthest along that we've made it. And um, I decided to have another DNC. Uh, it happened on a Friday that we found out there was no heartbeat. And then on a Saturday they brought me in to do the DNC and I'm very appreciative of that to I kind of journaled and said goodbye to the baby that Friday. And then it just helps with moving on, I think, to not have to draw out um, saying goodbye. So that was our um, fourth and and final loss. Um, he was a boy. We did testing afterward and found out that his name was Samuel, um, but he was a boy. And yeah, that was back in, um, it happened on 1111. So my association with a a wish has gone away, I think um which is okay uh but i don't think one of the things i was going to say in this process is you don't forget the dates i don't forget any of our babies due dates i don't forget the dates that i lost them or found out that they no longer had a heartbeat um it's hard to with friends that have their babies around the same time or even if like they're within a couple of days of a due date that I have. Um, it's always a constant reminder that we would have had one-year-olds or babies together. Um, I'm hopeful. So my I mean, progress now that happened back in November. Um, like every loss, I had to test down my HCG. Um, most of mine. My very first one, it went down quick. Like three weeks, it was already gone, I think because the baby was measuring a little bit smaller, but the last couple, um, it took about six weeks to get my HCG back down to zero. Um I am a religious person, so I do cling to God throughout all of this. Um I believe in his faithfulness and, and his promises and that has helped carry me through. Um, I have explored since um, just because we haven't really figured out still what's wrong. Um, I've explored thoughts of doing surrogacy or um, you know what what other alternatives I can have. Uh, my RE actually recommended that I go see a, a reproductive immunologist or an RI. So that's one of the steps that um, I've taken and. Um, he's been treating me actually since December. So I now have, um, I actually got it this past Tuesday, the quote green light (laughs) to get pregnant again, based on his testing and what he's been treating me for. But I think both of my doctors are in agreement that it's maybe related to an um, immunological issue of just, uh, when I'm pregnant, um, something happening or attacking the baby. So we're going to try again. We're going to try and transfer again. We have um, still five embryos left and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I went in uh, to to try and do another cycle and this was actually another one that was canceled due to thin lining, but we're, we're going to try again um, with my next cycle. And I know uh, my husband and I are both believing for a miracle or believing for multiple miracles and I'm excited I know one day Arden I'll get to reach out back back out to you and be able to tell you a success multiple success stories but yeah
0: um, yeah I I can't wait for that day because I you've endured a lot more than anybody is uh supposed to or meant to or can handle it's um It's a lot to go through for miscarriages in, in the span of a few years and the span of, you know, you also have the pandemic of kind of like a mile marker of your journey. You know, I imagine that as we're recording this, we just reached the, the date of the first lockdowns. And so everybody was posting, I know on TikTok, you know, pictures Mm -hmm. of them before lockdown and then pictures of them now. And I imagine that for people who have experienced loss and recurrent pregnancy loss during the past three years, that you have these mile markers that other people don't have, which make it a lot more difficult, um, at least seeing it through my eyes. Um, I did want to ask you, because I don't know if you mentioned your third baby's name. I didn't, I don't think I heard it if you did. So I wanted to make sure that we got that down. Joy, Um, Joy. Joy's
1: our third baby, mainly because he was such a surprise the whole time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that, and I love that you named them all. Um, you talked about with your loss and being in the hospital, and you know, feeling tissue and, and all of those things, and not knowing that what you passed, if that was the baby or if that was blood clots. Uh, that was exactly my experience, and so because of that, I didn't feel worthy of naming my baby that that specific pregnancy, um, and so I always love hearing other people's names because I think it's it's so helpful in grief whenever you feel like you can name them and you feel called to a name then you can refer to them by name. So I think that's amazing.
1: I think it honors their memory and that they did yeah. have an impact on my life, on my husband's life, on some of our family's life, even though it was so short. Um they still will always be with me. So I think naming them really helps with that. Yeah, for sure. And um, do you have anything in your home
0: or like uh, some people have jewelry, some people have tattoos, some people have pictures. Do you have anything like that for them it as well? A-
1: yeah, it was actually after our third loss. I don't have any tattoos. I'm like feeling like I'm way past the tattoo age. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I decided to get a tattoo. I know you won't be able to see it on the podcast, but it's behind my um, oh, left that's ear. Cute. I have- three butterflies and each one is unique um I sought out a specific tattoo artist that could do kind of what I was looking for but there I don't think I'll get a fourth one I don't know that it needs to be like one butterfly per baby but it's more symbolic of just knowing that each one of them had their own unique life um, in me and uh, also from the religious standpoint, just knowing that one day I'll get to meet them again in heaven. So, Yeah.
0: And you know, you could always, if you later on, whenever you have a living child in your arms and you feel like I'm going to finish this tattoo and I'm going to add that fourth butterfly, Mm -hmm. but I'm also going to add, you know, something else. Um, I do have tattoos. I have four or five of them. I can't remember at this moment, but, um, (laughs) I've always wanted to get a tattoo in honor of the babies I've lost, but I wanted to wait until my family was complete. That way I could include everybody. And so that was always kind of my picture that I had in my mind. Um, And so it just, it, it doesn't have to be final the way that you have it. It also can, you know, that it represents your losses. And so you don't have to physically have the amount of butterflies for your losses too. It
1: was a big move for me. I mentioned kind of throughout my story that I was not very open about it. And I think in the past, I would even say six six months is really where I've started to just be so much more open about it. And the tattoo helps to be now a conversation starter where if anybody wonders about it, I feel more confident to tell about each of our babies. I love that.
0: I, I hate that. You know, I hear it so often, and I've experienced it where it's whenever you have recurrent pregnancy loss, it's usually like the more losses you have, the more confident you become in sharing your story. Um, and you would feel like I. I know for me, I felt after my second loss, I was like, I felt more broken. I felt kind of embarrassed for people to know that I was struggling. And then I just had this moment one day where I was like, "Why do I feel embarrassed about this? Like this is happening to me. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, mm-hmm. And so I definitely felt more confident after uh, just because i I wanted those babies to be recognized, and it sounds like you definitely feel that way too. It's just um it's hard when people can't see what your family actually looks like and the people that are included in your family and the lives that you've created with your partner and it's just. It's lonely.
1: It's a very silent loss. So unless you're vocalizing it, nobody has to know. And I think for me, it, I had to get to a point in dealing with grief that I was more comfortable with being able to be open about it than with wanting to, I don't know that it was that I wanted to hide it, but it was, it was more painful to talk about it. And so it didn't become something that I was sharing. Yeah. I hear that. I also, um,
0: you know, in your next pregnancy, I wonder how you will feel if you go and, you know, I I know I have some clients who go the surrogacy route um, for different reasons and then that helps them not have to share it. And so they're able to kind of process that throughout the pregnancy. Um, and then I have some people who are are caring and they still wait until like the end. And then they're just like, they pop up on social media and they're like, surprise, we had a baby. And here's my entire journey. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there is no right or wrong way to do it. You know, it's hard with family because you can't hide away forever. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you just you figure it out and how you feel in the moment and you honor that. And if you feel like sharing, you share it. If you feel
1: like hiding away, you hide. Yeah, and take it one day at a time. You said it. I, I don't know what I'll do the next pregnancy if I'll want to share immediately, if I'll share about even the transfer or if it will be something that I want to enjoy the surprise again and wait for as long as we can. Um, I definitely will not hide because of fear about a miscarriage that fear will be there throughout and it will be up to us if we decide we want the support in that fear or if we want to be able to celebrate in a way that we haven't before yeah well said
0: caroline thank you so much for sharing um Again, your story is, of course, it's so sad and it's a story I wish that you weren't here sharing. I I really hope that from here on out, you only receive good, happy news and you have no more butterflies to add. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's just, it's so unfortunate that that anybody goes through multiple miscarriages and infertility with not really... diagnosis you know just having that unexplained to have all these tests and everything be normal um Mm -hmm. that is also another factor of this that i think people don't realize is that we don't always get reasons for a lot of loss you know that's just it's a hard journey i I know people always say to, to to people who go through hard things like oh you're so strong and in this community we talk about that a lot. I've been lately, I've been wanting to tell people that they're resilient, like instead of saying they're strong, like you are resilient, you keep getting back up and you keep going. And I think that that, um, that's a, a lot better than being strong
1: in my eyes. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I know I definitely do not resonate with even the word strong because there's a lot of moments in this where I feel weak and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, well said. I, I, like the word resilient. I think it's, that's what I hope. Um, I know the hope is what keeps you resilient. So. Yeah.